Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another premium episode of Back from the Borderline. If you're tuning in from the public feed, you will get a preview of this episode, but for subscribers on Patreon, you will get the full enchilada. If you'd like to unlock this full episode, as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content, you could sign up on Patreon by visiting backfromtheborderline.com. If you're tuning in from the public feed, we're going to have a quick ad break, but for premium subscribers, let's jump straight into the episode. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. All right, everyone, welcome back, my premium submarines. 
Today, we are going to be reading and reacting to a brand new piece by the podcast favorite, Bruce Levine. He is an all-around badass, has been doing so much research and incredible reporting when it comes to critical psychiatry and some of the pretty wild stuff coming out of this space. Oftentimes, we don't hear about this stuff in the mainstream media for the most part. However, in the last couple of years, you've been seeing a slow and sure trickle of more and more of these types of articles, really just kind of calling out overall like, okay, we have better access to therapy, less stigma around mental illness than ever before. More and more people are aware of it and talking about it and open about it. And more and more people have psychiatric diagnoses than ever before, are medicated, and yet the mental health crisis is getting progressively worse and worse. So if we were doing something that was working with the current model, we would be seeing better, not worse results. And from where I stand and after doing so much reading and research and mixing with the community that would maybe identify themselves as more critical of psychiatry. They're critical of the biomedical model, which is essentially just pathologizing the human experience, essentially saying if you're sad or if you're down or if there's something a little bit wrong with you, it's down to a chemical imbalance of some kind, maybe a genetic mutation of some kind that's leading to mental illness or some kind of psychiatric condition or disorder. The biomedical model of mental health neglects to look at the psycho, social, spiritual aspects. We've talked a lot about this, especially my premium subscribers. You know this back and forward by now. But the thing is, as much as many of us listeners, like we are tuned into this stuff, the average everyday person is not. They still really are just buying completely into the biomedical model worldview. Even if they wouldn't be able to define it, they think this way because we have been conditioned through, you know, commercials on TV, just a general discourse about people who struggle with their mental health. The way the narrative that's been baked in makes it really hard for there to be a just massive psychological shift in the way that we view these things. But thankfully, incredible people like Bruce Levine, Robert Whitaker, who is also going to be coming up um, as a guest on this podcast in the next month or so. And they're incredible writers and pioneers who have been in these spaces and they're kind of acting as whistleblowers saying, we need to do something different here. And Bruce writes for various different publications like Mad in America. This particular article that we're going to be diving into today is in Counterpunch. And it actually came out on January 17th, but I've been pre-recorded on podcast episodes for quite a while, so I've been wanting to get to this. And Bruce sent me the article right when it came out, and I thought, okay, I'm not even going to read this. I'm going to read it at the same time as I read it out on a podcast episode, and then we will react in real time as I read it. Cause I always think that's fun. I can take a break. We can chat a little bit about some of the things that come up. And this is exciting because you're getting to have a deeper understanding of some of the stuff that's coming out right now in terms of just this fight for a more nuanced way to approach mental health. 
And if you're new here, most of my premium submarines are far from being new. You know, never ever do I want to come across as being anti-biology, right? Because it is incredible the advancements that we've made in modern medicine. And there are absolutely times where psychiatric medications can be beneficial and even life-saving. I have experienced it myself. But then I also believe that neglecting to look at the psycho social, spiritual spheres that we are really stopping ourselves from finding a more holistic healing for people who struggle with mental health. And maybe, just maybe, tackling you know the massive emphasis we are putting on the bio, really shining a light on the problem with that is what we need to do right now so that we can prioritize some of those other things and bring it back into balance. Because what we're seeing right now is purely thinking that people equal sad because chemical imbalance or personality disorder or insert disorder dysfunction label, that's clearly not getting us towards better results. This article is called Scientific Misconduct and Fraud, the Final Nail in Psychiatry's Antidepressant Coffin, published on January 17th, 2024 by Bruce Levine on Counterpunch. And I want to let you know that I'll be linking this article in the episode description because if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, Bruce, when I say he cites his sources, he brings the receipts, he's linked to all these different studies and the hyperlinks in this article are super extensive. So if you wanted to go down the rabbit hole and read all of the hard facts and proof that he includes in this article of all the claims he's making here, you can feel free to do that and I encourage you to do so. So the article starts with a quote from Robert Whitaker, right? And he's a publisher of Madden America. And this quote is from January 3rd, 2024. So Robert says, if the major media picks up on this story, they will have the chance to report on what arguably is the worst and most harmful scandal in American medical history, end quote. So the article begins by saying, Historically, there have always been some patients who report that any treatment for depression, including bloodletting, has worked for them. And by the way, bloodletting is basically like, imagine medieval ages where they're putting the leeches on you to balance out your body's humors. In the Middle Ages, they believed that you were, your your different personality and the way that you kind of were wired, you had a more of a certain of the four humors in your body. So they believed that by putting leeches on someone, they could help balance out the humors. And they also believed that things like hysteria and uh, different mental disorders or dysfunctions, they wouldn't have called them then, but maladies probably, that by balancing out the humors in your body that you could bring balance to your, you know, your body and mind and spirit. So I digress. Historically, there have always been some patients who report that any treatment for depression has worked for them, but science demands that for a treatment to be deemed truly effective, it must work better than a placebo or the passage of time without any treatment. This is especially important for antidepressant drugs, including Prozac, Zoloft, and other selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs, as well as Effexor, Cymbalta, and other serotonin and neuroepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs, because all of these drugs have uncontroversial 
troubling side effects. So essentially what he's saying here is that for any kind of psychiatric medication, for us to really look at it as being effective and give it that like truly effective stamp of approval, which should be our universal definition of effective. He believes that it must work better than a placebo. So if you know what a placebo is, it's like a sugar pill, right? You, when people do studies, they'll give people some, some people a placebo and some the medication, and then they use that to determine whether the medication is actually working or is it people's belief that because I'm getting a pill, then I must be better and they actually get better. And there are tons of studies that actually show that placebos work just as if not better than the medication because of the lack of side effects. And there are even studies with ibuprofen that you can look up, just simple things like Tylenol, you know, where sometimes the placebo works just as good, if not better than the Tylenol for the headache, because someone thinks I took something, so therefore I must be better. And something in their mind actually helps activate this inner healing. That sounds really tacky, but not healing, but because you believe you took something for your headache, your headache can get better simply because of the belief. So placebo studies and stuff like this and the psychology behind it is another really fascinating rabbit hole that I've gone down. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, maybe go down that rabbit hole. It's, it's super interesting. But he says, you know, for these pills, these, you know, psychiatric medications to be effective, they need to either work better than a placebo or the passage of time without treatment because Sometimes they say things like watchful waiting, you know, with severe depression or anxiety, as well as other kind of interventions like, you know, diet and exercise, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, you know, community support, all of these like psychosocial, spiritual interventions that we forget about. And the passage of time, sometimes they can be just as, if not more effective than a drug. So, he said this is especially important for antidepressant drugs because of all of the intensive side effects that are now being reported. An example I think that's really good here is something like chemotherapy. You know that when someone has undergone this treatment, it is very hard on their body. It completely eviscerates their immune system. They can get sick a lot easier. They can lose their hair. They have to deal with chronic nausea and vomiting. You know, someone who's undergoing chemotherapy treatment is going through hell, but they believe that the side effects are worth it because of its ability to treat or eliminate the cancer that might end their life. The question here is, is the side effects of these different psychiatric medications, are they worth it? And in certain serious emergency situations, I can completely agree that sometimes these medications have saved people's lives. But what we have right now is an epidemic of people on these medications for long periods of time and maybe just thinking they are going to be on them for the rest of their lives and the side effects that continue to pop up and debilitate people's lives are making them go, what should I do? All of us, I think, that have been on antidepressants at some point, and I have been on them multiple times throughout my life for years at a time, and there always comes a time where you're going, I'm feeling kind of better, so I feel like maybe I could 
taper off. Maybe I could, maybe I could not take these. Like, do I want to be on these for the rest of my life? And there are some people that are okay with that knowledge that they may have to be on a certain medication forever. This is not a moral judgment, but everyone that I've spoken to that's been on SSRIs or SNRIs or any kind of long-term psychiatric medication, they get to those plateau points and they're like, maybe I could do this without this, or maybe I want to eventually wean off this and figure out how, if I can just, you know, support myself, you know, these are thoughts we all have and we're not prepared for what it's like going off these medications. I've talked about this at length. I have both weaned off the medication because I had the privilege to still be on health insurance and have access to continued medication. And I also have had to completely go off cold turkey of three different psych meds because I lost my health insurance. And when I pulled up to the pharmacy, they told me it would be $800 to refill my medications. Whereas before it was like, $10. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going off these pills. (laughs) And I felt like I was dying. You are not prepared for the withdrawal that you will feel. And it is highly advisable never to go off cold turkey of these kinds of mind-altering medications. But some people don't have a choice. And most people were not told by their doctors the severity of the withdrawal side effects. And that's just the side effects of completely going off of them are one thing, but then there are the side effects of being on them. When I was on my SSRIs, I struggled with decreased sexual functioning, decreased sexual desire, um, incredibly like dry eyes. My sleep was absolutely destroyed. I had a really hard time maintaining a consistent sleeping pattern and I could go on and on, but weight gain, I really experienced some serious weight gain depending on the one that I was on at the time. I was always battling something. I was always going in my mind, wow, if I went off of these, I could probably sleep better. So do I want to sleep better or do I want to get depressed again? You know, it's always this kind of like weighing the pros and cons in your mind and wondering, "Hmm, maybe one day I don't want to be on these anymore. So the problem that I have with the psychiatric establishment now is that there's not enough informed consent. They don't really talk about all the different options you have and how difficult it will be to come off of these things when you need to or you might have to. Because the thing is, some of us get laid off. I worked in tech for 10 years and that's how I lost access to my medications is because I lost my job, lost my health insurance, and boom, had no more psychiatric medications. And that's a reality that many of us in the United States without access to public health care have to really face. And so there might be a time where you won't have access to your medications. You need to have an understanding of the serious withdrawal and the side effects that you'll experience because otherwise you could think, number one, I'm going crazy because another side effect when you go off them is that your depression, suicidal thoughts, and everything can almost like feel like they're worse than ever before. And it can make you think, oh, See, I knew I couldn't go without these medications. I knew I couldn't go without them. I knew there was something wrong with me, but in reality, it's just withdrawal symptoms. It's not like you're not actually depressed, but it's 10 times magnified because you are going through withdrawal. And this needs to be stressed by medical professionals. They need to talk about this openly, but they don't. They famously just glaze over it. And why? You know, why? And 
it's because it's big business. And I'm not saying every single psychiatrist is like rubbing their little grubby hands together saying, oh, I'm going to get rich. But I'm saying that's the attitude at the top is just, you know, don't talk about it that much, blah, blah, blah. I used to have a friend who worked in pharmaceutical sales a long time ago. And she was a lot older than me, probably five years older. She was getting out of college and she got this cushy new pharma sales job. And she laughed and joked about how they had to kind of like, you know, teach the doctors how to talk about the side effects and make it not sound as bad. The medical system in the United States is a big business and that's the devastating reality. And so they're not going to be talking ad nauseum about all the side effects and things that could happen and maybe the better ways that you could treat some of these things without supporting this system, they're going to minimize it. And this is how we get into the pickle that we're in now. So let's continue. If I continue on with these uh, long ass sidebars, we're never going to get through this article. So I promise I won't do a, a rant like that again, but I thought it was very important to set the scene. Researchers have long known that any single antidepressant drug is a little more effective than a placebo in the majority of trials, shown to be less effective than a placebo in some studies, and generally found to be clinically negligible with respect to depression remission, while often resulting in severe side effects, for example, resulting in a higher percentage of sexual dysfunction than depression remission. However, for nearly 20 years, Psychiatry and Big Pharma have told us that while one antidepressant may not work for the majority of patients, in the quote, real world, doctors provide patients who have been failed by their initial antidepressant with yet another antidepressant, and if that fails, still yet another, and that this real world treatment is successful for nearly 70% of patients. The narrative has been repeatedly reported by the mainstream media, including the New York Times in 2022. And he's highlighting that, right? Because how many of you have been to a psychiatrist or your doctor or someone that you are working with on your psychiatric medications? And if one's not working or you're having crazy side effects, the only suggestion is, okay, let's try a different medication and then a different medication and then a different one. It's always the next pill, right? So he goes on to write, the problem with this nearly 70% story is that the research has been used to justify it. A 2006 report on the results of the sequenced treatment alternatives to relieve depression has long been disputed by researchers. Moreover, a recent reanalysis of previously undisclosed data reveals that this study, the sequenced treatment alternatives to relieve depression, which is abbreviated as STARD, owing to scientific misconduct that dramatically inflated remission rates may go down in U.S. medical history as one of its most harmful scandals. Among the few journalists in the world who have recognized the implications of STARD, which is the abbreviation for that study, for the treatment of millions of people is Robert Whitaker. His September 2023 report, The STARD Scandal, Scientific Misconduct on a Grand Scale, he stated, quote, the protocol violations and publication of a fabricated principal outcome the 67% cumulative remission rate are evidence of scientific misconduct that rises to the level of fraud. So essentially, Robert Whitaker, shots fired. He's calling them out because all of this research, right? What he's saying is, is that we've been operating under the belief collectively that real world treatment of just, you know, finding the right medication for you, 
this this thesis of, you know, this pill doesn't work, try this one. This one doesn't work, this one for antidepressants. Is that this study told us and infused into the collective narrative that this treatment is successful for nearly 70% of people. Robert Whitaker in this groundbreaking, you know, report that he produced, and we can definitely talk about that with him when we interview him next month on the podcast. He's calling them out and saying this nearly 70% story, he has proven that the protocol violations in this study where we got this, it is based upon a fraudulent study. The results are not accurate. So we've just been parroting this statistic, thinking this works with every doctor out there, just believing this is the way to go when it's based upon a shady ass study. That is pretty pretty profoundly disturbing, if true. So Bruce goes on to write, Prozac, the first SSRI antidepressant, received FDA approval in 1987 and entered the market in 1988, with Zoloft entering the market in 1991, followed by Paxil in 1992. By the late 1900s, Americans were seeing drug commercials on television, which would eventually include antidepressant commercials, such as the early 2000s sad blob Zoloft commercial that promoted the belief that SSRIs could correct the chemical imbalance that was causing depression. However, by the 1990s, researchers had already discarded the serotonin imbalance theory of depression with the invalidity of this theory finally reported by the mainstream media in 2022. So there's a lot packed into this paragraph, but I want to highlight a few things that really come to mind for me when reading it. Think about this. The very first antidepressant received FDA approval in 1987. I was born in 1989. At the time of recording this, we're in 2024. I'm 34 years old. And this only happened two years before I was born. And so think about that. That's not that long ago. That is within my millennial lifetime that the very first antidepressant came about. And this isn't like we weren't using different types of sedatives and um, other types of things like uppers and downers to control mental health. Like the classic, you know, lady in the 1950s using downers, like with her glass of wine or, you know, people using speed and other things. And Also, you know, people in asylums and stuff being absolutely drugged out of their mind. So we were messing around with stuff like this before, but the first SSRI antidepressant was only approved in the late 1980s. And Zoloft came around when I was around one or two years old. And I have like burned into my memory that Zoloft commercial with the little blob bouncing and he's so sad. And then once he takes Zoloft, he becomes happy blob, right? And it's so, if you think about just the propaganda within that, right? We grew up with these little messages just being drip, 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 drip feed into us. And that's how these collective beliefs come into play, but it hasn't really been that long. So essentially our generation, if you're a millennial, if you were born in the mid if you were born in the 80s even, right? You were part of this generation that's been just this guinea pig experiment. And much of this stuff is based on flawed data. And the second thing that really pisses me off about this paragraph, not because of Bruce, but because of this, the reality of the world (laughs) is that 
the vast majority of people that are practicing in the mental health space, at least people that are psychiatrists, people that take their thing very seriously, I'm no shade to like social workers or just therapists out there. Sometimes you will meet a, a social worker and a therapist in the wild and you're like, how did you, how do you help people? Like it makes you concerned <laughs> because they just like, I will get excited when I meet someone who says they're a licensed clinical social worker or a therapist or something. And I'll start talking about some of this stuff and they just have no idea. And I'm sorry, but I think that if you are, it gives me the same feeling when I meet teachers or I was in school and there were teachers that were teaching junior high school, elementary school that clearly just ran out of ideas and said, I guess I'll just be a teacher. And you can tell that they don't really give a shit about what they're doing because it soaks into everything that they do. And it's clear that they're not passionate about their field. And then you meet the teachers that like they eat, live, breathe, sleep. They think about their passion of educating and they're reading the latest books and they're keeping up to date on the studies. And you can tell when people really care about their craft, but there are a scary amount of people in the helping professions that are burnt out and don't really care about what they're doing. And they are not even tuned into this stuff. So, but the average everyday psychiatrist, someone who is working at the top of their field, if you say, you know that the serotonin uh, hypothesis is a myth, right? They're like, yeah, of course. Of course, nobody believes that you're depressed because of chemical imbalance in your brain. Nobody believes that anymore. And it's like, yeah, they do. A lot of people fucking do because we've spent the last 30 something years drip feeding that into the collective consciousness and no one in that whole community there was not this big press conference saying, hey, everyone, we lied to you. You know, this has been a myth because that would open them up to hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> so they're just kind of like slinking away being like, yeah, no one ever really believed that, right? Yeah, they did and they still do. That's the problem. So he continues by writing, psychiatry and big pharma have never disputed the adverse effects of its own antidepressants, but have claimed that the great benefits of these drugs outweigh their adverse effects. Is this claim valid? Receiving little attention by the mainstream media in 2002, the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, published a study aimed at discrediting the herb St. John's wort as an antidepressant. However, in this randomized controlled trial, RCT, in addition to one group receiving a placebo and a second group receiving St. John's wort, there was a third group that received the standard dose of the SSRI Zoloft. The results? The placebo worked better than both St. John's wort and Zoloft. Specifically, a positive, quote, full response occurred in the 32% of the placebo-treated patients, 25% of the Zoloft-treated patients, and 24% of the St. John's wart-treated patients. So essentially, the placebo patients responded the best to the antidepressant treatments. In other words, the people that responded the best were the people that took nothing, a major reason why most of the general public never heard about this study was that it was published with the title, quote, the effect of, I just had to pause this to figure out how to pronounce this, the effect of hypericum perforatum or St. John's wort in major depressive disorder, a randomized controlled trial. Why was there no mention of Zoloft in the study title? 
Zoloft is manufactured by Pfizer, and the final disclosure of this study's lead author, psychiatrist Jonathan R.T. Davidson, states, quote, Dr. Davidson holds stock in Pfizer, the manufacturer of Zoloft, and has received speaker fees from Pfizer. So the guy, okay, who was the lead author of the study was a psychiatrist who had a bunch of Pfizer stock. <laughs> who manufactures Zoloft. So of course he doesn't mention how Zoloft performed statistically worse than taking nothing. Like, this is how academia works now. It is all bought, paid for, worded in a very specific way, and you have to be like Carmen fucking San Diego to really go in and find the real deets. And what's really disturbing is that as collectively we lose our attention spans and have the attention span of goldfish and don't want to read between the lines and we're collectively losing our ability to critically think and you know make up our own minds about things it is so easy for these authors of these studies and these huge pharmaceutical companies to play us and it is thanks to work from all right everyone that is it for this week's public preview of this premium episode of back from the borderline if you'd like to unlock the full version of this episode all you have to do is sign up to become a patron at backfromtheborderline.com or you can visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline this episode goes on for over an hour we dive into the rest of the article and we continue going down our little rabbit holes while i fill you in with some personal anecdotes along the way and we finish off by really having a heart to heart about how we can best advocate for ourselves during this time this tumultuous time where some of these myths are coming to light and how we know that it's probably going to take years and potentially decades to correct some of this misinformation so what can you do right now? We really finish off by talking about that. So again, go ahead and subscribe at backfromtheborderline.com to become a premium submarine if you'd like to unlock this, as well as hundreds of hours of additional Back From The Borderline content. And if you can't subscribe now, that's okay. You can support the podcast by rating or reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen. You can share this episode with somebody that you care about. That's my favorite way for you to support my work is sharing it because the more people hear about this, the more we talk about it, the more quickly we can enact change. So that's it for this week's exclusive preview episode. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day wherever you happen to be tuning in from and I will see you right back here next time. And don't forget, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.